In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. Here are a couple of commands, which I promise you, you do not do, and I definitely do not do these commands. These are commands given by Jesus himself in today's gospel. Here are the commands Jesus gives, which I promise you, you don't do. I, for sure, I'm not planning to do this anytime soon to obey these commands. Here are the commands that Jesus gave in today's gospel. If your hand or foot causes you to sin, cut her off. Not my words, Jesus' words. And if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out and cast it from you. If I was really obeying Jesus, I would be a very blind priest. And I think all of us would be blind, right? We would have two holes in the middle of our face. For really, wait, we have to obey Jesus. Maybe these two commands we don't obey. But this one you, you obey. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. That's why you're here. You scheduled your week, you scheduled last night, to make sure that you come to abide in the eternal love of your heavenly Father. To abide in Him in a sacramental reality. This is why you're here. To attain eternal life by abiding in Him. Not just a check a box, add communion. No. It's that this is part of our communion together as His children and having communion with him, this is one way, through the sacraments. Obviously, this is an important way. But through our quiet time, this is how we abide in him. But he made it very clear, the sacraments of abiding in him and eating his flesh and his blood, drinking his blood. What about the top two? I'm not aware of any church, Christian church. I'm not sure, if, I'm not aware of any version of Christianity in which they will look at these two verses, the top two, and say, Guys, we really need to obey Jesus. Like, we need to, like, Jesus said it, we need to obey. It's not up to us to decide if this is right or wrong. We need to obey Jesus. I am not aware of any church tradition that does that. But how are we supposed to, like, how, how the, the bottom one, how can we take that literally, but not the top two? Like, who decides that? Who decides that? The bottom one, we, that's why you're here, right? But the top two, should we take that literally, figuratively, spiritually, metaphorically? How should we interpret like what Jesus says. If that's metaphorical, why, why not the bottom one? Why not? If that's metaphorical, why not the resurrection be, then maybe that's just a metaphor altogether. Who are we, like, like how should we determine, okay, which of Jesus' things, which one should we say, this is metaphorical, this is uh, real or not? How, how should we interpret? How should we know? This is why, my friends, the church is critical for our salvation, our edification, and our pursuit of the fullness of of life. The church, the continuity of this one holy Catholic and apostolic church is what gives us the lens of how to interpret this. We don't need to come 2,000 years later. Forget 2,000 years. We don't need to come a few decades or centuries after Jesus and say, guys, I think this is what Jesus means. No, this is written in Matthew, right? And then the blessed was John. Why don't we ask Matthew? What did Jesus mean by that? Why don't we ask Matthew's disciples? What that meant. Eat my, eat my flesh and drink my blood. John, you wrote that. You heard those words come out of Jesus' mouth. What, did it, was that just kind of like a nice spiritual talk? It's kind of weird, but is he really talking about cannibalism? What are you talking about? What, why don't we ask John? Why don't we ask John's disciples, like one would be Ignatius of Antioch. Why don't we go to Antioch and ask him? Why don't we ask St. Polycarpus? He's the disciple of the disciple of the disciple. Why don't we just ask? Like, I'm sure there, there, there's some continuity of the full message of how we should understand Jesus. This is why, my friends, 
Yes, our pursuit of God, our pursuit of, the, of God incarnate is critical. But the embodiment of his church, the fullness of this church, this dynamic organism, his living body, this is why it is critical. For many of us, it's tempting to say, you know what, church, man, they just gossip and drama and no one ever says hi to me, no one whatever. So you know what? I'm just forget church. I'm just between me and God, right? That's all that matters. It's between me and God. So I can have my quiet time with, with my coffee, with Jesus in the morning, and that's about it. No. Because you know what happens when that individual, individualistic motive keep, takes us hostage? You know what happens? We go to town with that, and we create a new version. Well, let's at 55,000 denominations. Let's make it 55,000 in one. We just create our own, right? Then we just follow the self, Right? then we end up becoming our own God and creating our own version of spirituality and theology. So this is why the church is critical. But anywho, that is not today's message. Today's gospel. The disciples ask a very legitimate question. Who then is greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Right? They're in the business, not in business. They're following Jesus, you know, th and t thinking, talking about breathing heaven. Right? So now they're naturally thinking, who's the greatest? Just as you, just as you breathe and think work and you're, you're consumed in the corporate world, at your work, you're thinking, uh, who's, who, like, I, I think I do a better job than him, right? I think I do, I, I'm better than him, I'm better than her, right? We begin to start thinking, who's the greatest, right? So logically, in our what's in it for me selfish motive, just, the, just as we ask that question, they're asking the same. Who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven, right? And we talked about the icons earlier. That's an icon there of Jesus with his disciples. Uh, it's a nice icon because you see a lot of kids around Jesus. So there you see the disciples in the back. And they kind of, you know, tell Jesus, that Jesus, come on, like, enough with, like, the make all of us feel good talk. Just tell us, like, who's the greatest? Is it Peter? Like, because, you know, who, who's the greatest? Is it James, John, John? John, he's always young and he's always next to you. Is, that, is he the greatest? Come on, just tell. Just go ahead and tell us. Just give us 1 through 12. Tell us most greatest to the least greatest. Just go ahead and tell us. Right? So they're asking a very legitimate, logical question. Jesus, here's the question. He shifts the conversation completely right. He says this. Then Jesus called a little child. He says, guys, James, sit down, sit down. Hey, kid, come here, come here. And he tells the kid, tell a little child to come. Set him in the midst of them and said, Assuredly, I say to you, unless you are converted and become as little children, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Here they are, thinking in a very corporate type of mentality, Who's going to be the greatest? Just give us the order. Well, like we, we love orders, right? Don't you, we love lists, right? We love, so they just, just give us the list. Tell us who's the greatest, right? So they just went together. And then Jesus shifts the conversation. He pulls a little child and says, you need to convert to be like this little child. They're thinking, convert? What do you mean? We're, yes, we're Jews, but we're all into being a follower of you. We already converted, but convert to a child? What are you talking about? Are you talking about biologically? What are you talking about? You want me to be, you want me to be ignorant like a child? What, what, what do you mean convert as a little child? Right? When you and I just hear this without knowing the context, without knowing the rest of the conversation, the rest of the dialogue, we read that and we're like, wait, we become like children? Like what? You want me to become bratty? What, you may become ignorant? You want to become like super needy? And just, I, I, like, what, what, do you, what do you mean to become like little children? Jesus continues. Therefore, whoever humbles himself as this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And he puts this word that just kind of, I'm sure, snaps their ego inside their core when they're asking, who is the greatest? He says, you want to be great? I'll make it super easy for you. Come here, little kid. 
kid sits on his lap, and Jesus says, you need to convert and be humble like this little child. Let's focus, let me mention two virtues of children, and then I'll highlight just one. Two virtues of children. At their core, children know they're in need of grown-ups, right? You see the kids, right? Like, I know what I'm doing. I, I, I want to do myself. I'll choose myself. Or maybe you have kids that walk out the house. I don't know. I'm going to move. Right? I'm not going to live here anymore. And they walk out of the house, right? They feel like they know, they, they know what they're doing. It's on, like they, they're, they're a big boy. They're a big girl. They don't need anybody. But at their core, they still need their parents. They still need a grown-up, right? My kid doesn't want to admit it. But like when I say I'm going to take you there or I'm going to take you away, is there a grown-up there? Yes, there's a grown-up there, right? So even though I can do it, I can do it, I can do it. Daddy, stop, I can do it, I can do it. But at the core, is there a grown-up there, right? At the core, every child wants to know there is someone there watching over them, taking care of them. You know what's another virtue in children? They forget easily. I don't know if that's a good or bad thing, but they forgive quickly. How about that? They forgive quickly. You do something wrong to them, and they quickly forget the next day. Sometimes I'll go back, hey, sorry, Ruth, for, you know, what, you know, over, you know, yelling the other day. Wait, what? Just here, just eat your breakfast, right? They just kind of forget what happened. Those are two virtues of children. But let me ask you this, because I've heard people say this. See, a Christian worldview is just being simple, right? Jesus wants us to become like children. Children, you can convince them of anything. They're moldable, right? You just teach them anything, and they go along with it. So that's why Jesus wants us to become like children, ignorant, just simple in faith, right? Maybe you've heard people say, well, Christianity is for the uneducated. That's for the simple. You can't put your faith in science or philosophy or anthropology. You can't put your, your faith in any of that. So you just put your faith. You, so Jesus says, just become simple and dumb like children. Sorry, become simple like children, right? I forgot there's children here, right? Just become simple like children, right? Don't overthink things. But Jesus is not saying just to become just have, be simple in logic. He invites us to put on a critical virtue which opens the door to more in life, which is to be humble, to know that we need a grown-up to watch over us. What do children do? Daddy, carry me. Mommy, carry me. I'm tired. It's not a child thing. It's a human thing. For us to be, I need someone to carry me. All right? Maybe you've walked a long way with your kid and the kid said, carry me. And you're probably thinking, I need someone to carry me. I'm not carrying you. Jesus invites his disciples. And he breaks that mentality. Who's the greatest? And he tells them, no. You need to be humble like this child. But not simple in logic. I want you to challenge yourself intellectually. Grow philosophically. Grow in understanding the sciences. But see the divine threaded in all these departments of studies. But I want you to be, attain the virtue of humility in which you see in children. Just to prove that when people kind of hijack this verse and say, oh, see, Jesus just wants to be like children, simple in faith, and just, we just say, I believe, and that's about it. No. Jesus also said it in a completely different time. He says, he tells his people, be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. Jesus tells you to be like a serpent, <laughs> to be wise like a serpent. A serpent is strategic. A, a serpent knows where he's going. The serpent has an agenda. He, he, he has, he's very strategic how he plans out 
how he's going to take down someone. So we should be wise. We should be strategic. We should have wisdom like that. And we should also be harmless as doves. We should be graceful in our words, gentle of how we manage conflicts, how we deal with that annoying person. We should, attend, we should be strategic. We should prepare. But we should also be harmless as doves. But what threats all that together is to be childlike in humility. Imagine the issues in your friendships, marriage, relationships, you name it, co-workers. Imagine if a common virtue of humility was driving the conflict management. Imagine. Imagine. I know our arguments, my marriage would be cut by 80% if humility is what drove me. Imagine. Imagine if that was the virtue in which Jesus completely ignores the question of the disciples. Who's the greatest? He says, kid, come here with me. And, and he, he gives them an icon of humility. Jesus appoint, points to them an icon of humility. You know what else children do? Children go like this. They're in need of something. Do you know what Christians have been doing for 2,000 years as a posture of needing help is this. Do you know what we do for the past 2,000 years? And many church traditions do this. It's praying like this. This posture is saying, I'm in need of something. This posture says, I don't have it all figured out. This posture says, I'm done trying to solve this issue by myself. I'm going to come with my brokenness, with my sins, and surrender because I do not know what I am doing. I'm coming like this saying, enough is enough. This is on you. I'm putting my trust, not in myself, not on these resources, but on you. This is not a child thing. This is a human thing. Is our palms open like this, that we're in need. But you and I don't want to admit that. We walk around like this, walk around posting as if my life is good. Maybe it's this. But the church encourages us to pray like this. And you know the part of the liturgy in which it's more common, in which you see us praying like this, is when we pray an ironic, paradoxical prayer. Just as it's a paradox, it's, it's, it seems opposite that we should become like a child. What seems ironic or a paradox to, to proclaim death. Amen, your death, O Lord, we proclaim. We're coming to proclaim that death has been redefined. We're here to proclaim the death within me needs to be trampled down by the King of Kings. And I'm surrendering like this. This is a posture, a 2,000-year-old posture in which followers of Jesus did and are doing, and we are invited to do the same. You know what's another gesture? Is a prostration. The Greek word would be metanya, metanoia, a transformation of mind. And this gesture, this posture of kneeling down, whatever version that may be, a full prostration is my head to the ground because I'm changing my, my, my dumb, flawed, selfish logic. And I'm wanting that to die. And I'm wanting to rise as someone new. But this posture in which the church gives us is saying, complement the two. I surrender. 
I don't know what I'm doing. It's on you. My sin, my habit, my issue, my addiction. I have to get professional help. It's not on me anymore. It is on you. And I'm going to come with humility and vulnerability to seek new life in you, Jesus. That's this. This is my logic, what I think I know it's best. That voice inside of me saying, no, you don't need to tell anybody. That needs to die. That needs to be put down to the ground. And for me to resurrect into the person in whom I am created to be. There's this posture and there's this posture. But the church encourages us to come with our knuckles like this down. Because it's saying, I'm intentionally going down. It's not, I'm falling down. I'm intentionally putting my sins down. So uh, the, the church is saying, brace for impact. You go down because you need to rise as someone new because this is who you are divinely designed to be, to rise as someone new. So this is surrender as a child to our heavenly parent. And this is down. My logic, my issue, that has to go down. I need to go back to the person and begin with an apology not waiting for them to say something to me. I need to go to them and it's a prostration down. This, this is what a matanya is. This is what a prostration is. Think of all the issues in which you and I have, which give us so much unrest. Imagine if we walked in this broken world, driven by the virtue of humility and saying, my logic, my pride, that's going down. Let me show an eight church father. He said this, St. Isaac the Syrian, in the year 680 AD, for the humble man is always at rest because there is nothing which can agitate or shake his mind. Think how much of us are agitated and our mind is shaken by all the things we got to do, by this issue, the anxiety of when is this going to be solved and the stress and we're overwhelmed. For the humble man is always at rest. Wouldn't you want rest? Because there is nothing which can agitate or shake his mind. If I asked you, would you like to attain more of the virtue of humility? Yeah, all of us want it. Let this morning be a practice of that. For us to pray like this, if you've never prayed like this, or maybe you just do it because, you know, you know, when in Rome, right? Everyone else is praying like this, I'll pray like this as well. But let this today and every day be a posture of surrender. It's not my will. It's your will. I'm not going to be defined by my past anymore. I am defined by you, your death, because this is what I proclaim. Because it is your resurrection that gives me new life. This is what I want to proclaim. My logic, my flaws, my sins, that's going down. And I'm going to rise with you. If you've never prayed like that, I encourage you to take on these postures the church gives us for 2,000 years and for us to apply it. It's not about the technicality of praying like this or this or this or that. It doesn't matter. But to apply this approach, this body language, just as we see in children, they're in need of someone. We're in need of him. To him be all the glory forever and ever. Amen.